God bless you. Good morning. It is good to be back at uh, PCF for, uh, uh, it is just exactly a year, I think a year and a day apart from where I was here last year. So um, it is a great privilege. We love your pastors and um, have a deep affection and uh, and love for them. And um, and so, yeah, we, we did just recently welcome a new grandchild. We um, my wife and I have three children, and so they're all grown and married, and our youngest got uh, married first, had the first grandchild, and then they moved to Nashville. And so um, after, when my grandson was three years old, they moved to Nashville, and then we've just been waiting. We've just been waiting for more grandkids, because those of you who know what it is to have grandkids, they're better than the kids, <laughs> right? So... Um, so we've just been waiting and waiting, and Judah, our firstborn grandson, the one who lives in Nashville, uh, is going to be turning 10 this uh, September. So we've been waiting, and we've been quite patient, and, uh, and my wife has been praying for fruitfulness in our family. I know you've been praying for that for your church family for 2019, and, um, and last year, in April of last year, um, we, uh, my uh, oldest, my son, and next youngest daughter, um, they both had children um, 10 days apart. And so we went from one to three <laughs> post-haste. And, um, and then my daughter who lives in Nashville, who's this, this grandchild is special because of the fact that uh, ever since Judah was born, with, within a year or so of, of his birth, they've been trying to have a child. And she's conceived a couple of times and miscarried. And so she had just all but given up on that, but just continued to pray and, and believe and trust the Lord. And so this uh, little uh, Jaden was born uh, just a couple of days ago now. And um, so um, my wife is anxious to get on the airplane and head back to Nashville and uh, so that she can see that little one. But um, anyway, so thank you for indulging my grand uh, uh, grandparent story. Um, when Pastor Court said that I'm, uh, I've, I get decades of ministry, he just means that I'm an old guy. That's, that's, uh, that's all he's talking about. Um, last time I was here, I did talk to you about, um, from Ephesians chapter 4, about how that the mission of the church is really not designed around pastors, people who are trained specialists in ministries doing the work of the ministry. They are called and appointed and gifted and given to the church to equip you for the work of the ministry. So um, I, I, as, as I've transitioned out of pastoring now, it's been over three and a half years ago, um, I, I felt really a strong sense of calling that part of my mission is to awaken the church to its assignment that's outward facing. Because so much of our focus has been on, on us about us, about what we need and how Jesus is meeting our needs. Well, Jesus is meeting your needs, and he's generous and loving and caring to do that, but he has an intention in doing that. He doesn't want your needs to be met so that you're fat and happy, right? He wants to meet your needs so that you can help meet the needs of others, right? So we Freely you have received, the scripture says, so what? Freely give. So give away what you've been given. And so today I want to talk to you about 
what it means to be saved and sent. Saved and sent. So you have your notes, um, and we're going to jump into, uh, actually, we're just going to visit real quickly. It's not in your notes, but we all are familiar with this passage in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. I forgot that I have have the clicker, so here it is. Uh, So uh, should not perish, but have everlasting life. The thing that we miss about this is that that word world means that God's primary love, his primary objective is not the church, right? So God's the focus, the thing that compelled your heavenly father to send his only begotten son in redeeming sacrifice for the sins of the world was the world, right? That word world is cosmos. It is, it is, it's, the, it's everything that God created. For God so loved the world. It's the heart of the Father for the world that's driving His acts of redemption. And the church is a part of that plan. The church is not the object of that plan. The church is, is a part of the way that that mission, God's mission to love the world into his redemption, into salvation, into his grace, the church is a part of that. I worked for a while um, when um, between pastorates, uh, we owned a, a drapery business down in Santa Cruz, uh, California, and um, and so I hired this young man to work for us. He's a college-age guy. And, and uh, so we were working installing uh, window coverings in a medical facility in Berkeley. And so uh, we used cordless drills. And his cordless drill had been given him fits. It wouldn't charge anymore. And so I went down and I bought a brand-new cordless drill and I gave it to him that morning. We showed up on the job site, and I said, "Okay, here's here's this this two hundred and fifty dollar tool. So take care of it. Get a lot of work done." And so he went into a surgery room uh, at one part of the facility. I went into another part of the facility. Was working, and I came back into the surgery room, and here he is high up on this ladder, and there are concrete walls, and there were old brackets that he was trying to get out, and the screws had stripped out, and he's. He's getting frustrated with it, and I walk into the room just to see him turn the, the brand-new $250 cordless drill around and start to use it as a hammer to pound the bracket off of the wall. And I said, wait, 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 wait. Let me go to the van and get a $7.50 hammer to do that job right rather than you misusing the $250 tool as a hammer right so there's two things that were happening in that misuse number one the cordless drill turned into a hammer would never be as effective as an actual hammer to get that work done And then the second thing that was at work there is that the intended design of the cordless drill is going to be harmed. 
or perhaps even destroyed as it is used to do something other than its designed purpose. The church has a designed purpose. And that purpose is not to serve itself. And the more that we fashion the church to fit our needs and to take care of us, the more we warp and distort and perhaps even harm the purpose of the church. You're a $250 cordless drill sort of operation, right? And you have a a distinct purpose in God's kingdom, in his work for the world, right? You have that job. We have that mission. And if we try to make the blessings and the goodness and the favor and the, and the help of the Lord about us, we're missing the point. We're misusing the tools. Does that make sense? So we read John 3.16. So it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But look at verse 17. Look, it says, For God did not, what? send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What did God do to his son? He sent him. He sent him. And that theme is throughout the scripture that God is not just a saving God. God is a sending God. This represents a shift in the agenda of the church. Often we pray, oh God, would you help us to fulfill our mission? I talk to pastors all the time and it's like, we're just trying to craft our mission statement. It's like, well, what's God's mission? Right? We're asking God to bless us in the thing that we've decided to do. This is our mission. God help us fulfill our mission. No, it's God engage, empower Help the church to fulfill your mission. We need to ask for the enabling of the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's mission in the world. God is sending. He's not just saving. He's sending. Christianity has adopted the claim that the church is God's answer for the world without thoughtfully discerning the implication that this answer would be sent rather than stationary. Deployed rather than defined by our locations, our structures, and our programs. So we say, okay, we're part of God's mission. But part of that mission is that he's sending us out. We can get trapped on a focus that God is a saving God. But he is, but a singular focus on his saving actions conveys that he is a res- he just rescues people from danger of death and deposits them into safety land where his job of saving continues and their job is to remain saved. I felt like that as a pastor for the pastor for 17 years in Reading and um, and 
people would get saved, and then it's like, okay, well, it's my job. I just got to keep you saved, right? And some of y'all are hard to keep saved. So God saves us, and then because we, we look at God only as a saving God, then it puts in, that, in our mindset that he's going to save us and then deposit us into the church, which is safety land, and then he's just going to continue to work out his saving into other areas of our life. It's like once my sins have been forgiven and I've, and I've been rescued from the punishment of hell, once that has happened, then what else does God save? Well, then he needs to save me from my, my poverty and my debt. He needs to save me from my illness and sickness. He needs unhealth. He needs to save me from my, my broken marriage. And, and so if you look at the, if, if you go to a, a, a Christian website where they have a bunch of uh, church or Christian resources, or you go down, I don't know if they have Bible bookstores anymore, right? Um, but if you go online and look at, Christian literature, most of it is about this, how God is saving, continuing to save you in different elements of your life. He's going to help you fix your finances. God can help you fix your marriage. God can help you get a better job. God can help you, and on and on and on it goes. And it's not that God is not interested in your marriage or not interested in your finances or not interested in your health. He is. But if we have our, if our whole focus is on God as a saving God, then we're just going to continue to, to put ourselves in a situation where I just want to be kept safe. I just want to be kept comfortable. Some of us believe that that expression, when Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the comforter, we believe, well, yeah, I like that idea. I want a big overstuffed recliner called the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit is our comforter as we are going about the work of doing the Father's mission in the world, right? The discomfort is not created because we don't have as much money as we would like to make. The discomfort is the result of putting ourselves in situations where we are answering the need of the world. You're answering the needs of the people you work with. You're answering, in some way, the the people who live in your neighborhood. You're answering those needs. And you say, I don't have what I need to be able to do that. And I say, that's perfect. No, you don't. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. So looking at God as just a saving God puts ourselves, our job is that we're just going to remain saved, be kept safe. So God saves people, but God also sends people. So saved people then compose what we call the Church of Jesus Christ. And, G- and God is sending those people where? Into the world. Into the world. So God's job is to keep saving and to empower for mission and to keep sending. So the people who are getting saved are also being sent. Now some of you are going to say, well, I'm not a missionary. Well, yes, you are. Right? Because your mission field is where you live. 
We'll talk about this in a little bit, but in Matthew 28, where Jesus gives what we call the Great Commission. He says, go, therefore, into all the world, right? And so we imagine that that's a missionary calling, but the, the construct in the Greek language is actually, as you are going. It doesn't mean that you have to buy plane tickets and go to um, Uganda or go to South America. It doesn't mean that you have to have to uh, have a destination and you're going to go there and do the work of the ministry. No, the idea is as you're going, as you're going to the grocery store. As you're interacting with your neighbors, as you're going to work, make disciples, preach the gospel. It's the work of the church. God is ascending God. He is, it's his job to save and to um, keep saving but it's his job also to empower us for mission and then to keep sending our job then is to grow up in our salvation if you stay immature you're not going to have much to be able to give away to anyone else so let jesus do his work in you to make you a uh, a um, more fully developed believer right so grow up in your salvation, but it's also then your job, if God is empowering people for mission, it's your job to get empowered. And if it's God's job to keep sending people, it's your job to live sent. Is this making sense? All right. Are you sure? <laughs> in John chapter 17, um, we have... This is called the great intercessory prayer. So it's a prayer. It's one of the only uh, lengthy recorded prayers of Jesus, but it was the last prayer that we have on record Jesus praying besides those that he uttered on the cross. So he is in this great uh, turmoil pr- previous to his crucifixion. And he, he, we have this record in John 17 of this great prayer that he prays, asking the Father um, for uh, specific things. And there's... And, and we're going to pick up in verse 14 and uh, John 17, verse 14. And in this prayer, Jesus says, I have given them. So that he's speaking about the disciples. And then every time he says them, he's talking about not just the people who, who immediately followed him, but all who would follow him. Right. So he's talking about us. Right. So he says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world just as I am not of the world. But look at verse 15. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. And and some of us are going, oh, come on. Right? How many of you look around at the planet and you see things changing and you see things changing in our culture and you think, oh, Jesus, come. Or just take me out of this. This is a mess. He says, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one our pastor used to talk about you know if 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 god's only interest in you was to get you saved then why doesn't he just kill you after he saves you right we actually have a great mechanism for that in water baptism we just hold people under the water a little bit longer. Right? 
I baptize you in the name of the Father, glug, 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 and the Son, glug, 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 and the Holy Spirit. And off you go to glory, right? If that's God's purpose, just to save you, then why does he still leave us here? Jesus says, Father, I'm not praying that you would take them out of the world, even though they don't belong to this world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you would keep them, that you would preserve them, protect them from the evil one. In verse 16, he says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That sanctification, that growing up in our faith, that, that blossoming, that developing as believers is part of the prayer of Jesus here. But then look at what he says in verse 18. He says, as you, what? Sent me into the world. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Do you know that was in your Bible? In the same way that the Father sent the Son. Remember we read it from John 3, 17. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, so I am sending them. There's a mission of the Father. Jesus received that mission, was lived sent, saved people, but now he's sending others. Who in this room is a part of those others? Right? Yeah, you're called to live sent. Everything having to do with God's mission in the world is outward facing. Remember when he placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? He didn't say, hey, check this out. This is such a cool place. Just use it, consume it, enjoy it. It's all yours. No, God called Adam and Eve into a stewardship of the planet. And you and I have a stewardship. That doesn't mean just recycle, reduce, and reuse. Okay? That doesn't mean just taking care of, you know, managing your carbon footprint whatever in the world that is. That means that you have a stewardship of God's mission in the world. So we read from John 17, where Jesus is in this great intercessory prayer. But then if you go to forward in John 20, so this is now after the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, and he's shown up, he's walked through a wall. <laughs> and shown up where the disciples have gathered together and they're frightened and they're confused and wondering what's going on and Jesus just appears behind this uh, or, or, or he's, he appears inside this locked house. It says in verse 19 of John 20, it says, Then the same, e the, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And we all go, Oh, I need a little bit of peace in my life. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you as the father has sent me so remember that the in john 17 it was a private prayer jesus is saying father as you sent me into the world so i'm sending you now jesus is telling the disciples this is what i've done 
This is who you are to be. He says, as he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Did you know that was in your Bible? Jesus prays to the Father, John 17, and says, I'm not, to pr- I'm not asking for you to take them out of the world as you sent me into the world on this mission. In fact, that's in the Greek. If you look at the Greek construction of that phrasing in John 17 and in John 20, it's, it, it implies, as you sent me off on a mission into the world, so I am sending them off on a mission. Where? In the world. This sending is directly connected to um, what is, in, in their culture, the idea that a person who is sent has the same authority as the person who sent them. When I stepped away from pastoring uh, three and a half years ago, I spent a little over a year working for our district supervisor. So we were part of the Central Pacific District of Foursquare Churches. You were a part of the Southern California District of Foursquare Churches. So it's a different supervisor, different district. But I worked for our for Ron Pinkston, who was my district supervisor. And, um, and he sent me out into trouble. So he'd say, hey, Jack, there's this church in Utah that's having problems. And can you go help them? Here, Jack, there's this church that is in down in, in the valley near Fresno. And uh, their church council needs perhaps to be removed. <laughs> and so, messes, messes. And he said, I'm sending you as representing me. So when I met with those church councils, when I met with those pastors, I wasn't going on just the authority of Jack who's just showing up there. I'm going representing the authority of the district supervisor. So when I said to the church council, you need to get your act together or you need to step down. It wasn't just Jack. It was Jack representing the authority of the district supervisor. This idea that the agent deployed on behalf of the principal is rich in, in John's use of this word sent. Because you're not sent just to be you. Now, you're just, you're wonderful people. I just look across, it's like smiling faces. You're wonderful folks, right? Yeah, you just, you pat yourself on the back a little bit, okay? You're wonderful people. But the world needs more than just wonderful people. The world needs more than just you going with the best you've got. The world needs you empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can fulfill the Father's mission. So the agent goes representing as if they are the principal. And this is the idea that is behind when John uses this terminology, when he quotes Jesus, this As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. We are not being sent in the best of our abilities. I used to use that as the the measurement of whether I chose the right person for leadership or not. If I asked somebody in the church to do something, they go, oh yeah, I can do that. I think, oh man, I missed it. 
But if I ask somebody to do something and their eyes got about as wide as saucers and it's like, I don't know that I can do that, Pastor. It's like, that's perfect. (laughs) You're just the right person for the job. Why? Because you won't go in your own authority. You won't try to do ministry on the basis of who you are. You'll be wildly, utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's exactly where Jesus wants you. I said we're going to talk about the Great Commission, so we'll go there next. Uh, Matthew 28. Did you know that the Great Commission doesn't actually begin with the word go? Sometimes people say, what's the Great Commission? Go, therefore. Right? Go is not the first word of the Great Commission. The Great Commission actually begins with these words, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. (laughs) That's the first word of the Great Commission. Right? Jesus is saying, everything belongs to me. Everything belongs to me. I have conquered death and hell itself. All authority belongs to me. There is nothing higher than me. There's nothing greater than me. There's no power that can withstand me. I own it all. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth, what has been given to me? Go, therefore. <laughs> right? Go. The therefore points back to that authority. He's not calling you to go in what you have. He's calling you to go in the authority that he gives you. You are being sent not to act on your own resources and abilities, but as his agents deployed to fulfill the Father's mission. So the Father is sending the Son, the Son is sending the disciples, and the Holy Spirit is being sent not to just bring comfort to the church, not to just be a blessing pillow for the body of Christ. But the Holy Spirit is sent to enable disciples in the fulfillment of the Father's mission. We often look at it this way. Oh, I need to finish up. Although that clock says it's 9 o'clock, so I I still got like 55 minutes. (laughs) But if you look at your notes, and this is how we tend to look at the church. That the Father sends the Son, the Son deploys evangelists and missionaries to the world. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to sanctify and comfort the church. And the church builds programs, buildings, events, and gatherings. And, and periodically we provide invitations. We put signs out on the property that says, come worship with us. What does that mean to a person who's blind in their sins and darkness? What does that mean to someone who doesn't understand anything about the gospel of grace? Right? So we provide these little, come, come and be a part of us is not the orientation of the gospel. You being built up and strengthened in your most holy faith, you being empowered by the Holy Spirit and then deployed, sent into the world. 
That's the design of the Father. So that's what is next on that on your notes there. The Father sends the Son, and the Son sends the church. To do what? To fulfill the mission of the Father, to rescue and redeem the world. And so why then is the Holy Spirit sent by the Father to the church? To enable maturity and to empower for mission. Yes? All right, let's finish up here by looking back at John 20. Uh, at the very end of this, John 20, we already read this. Jesus said to them, Peace be to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, so think about the sequence here. So he says, Peace be to you. They're terrified. They're seeing Jesus post-resurrection for the first time. And he says, Peace As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And what happens next? When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Right? If you're going to do what Jesus was sent to do, if you're going to be sent by the Father, sent by the Son, you you have to be empowered by the Spirit. The implications of being sent for the local church means that I have to be willing to be sent to go. It presents a confrontation with our biases over the value and security of gathering over the risks of going. Recently, I was advising a church and we were working on their strategic plan. So I said, let's start with prayer. So he got all the gathered, the pastor got all these believer, or these leaders together. And this is a church that's a very small congregation in a very large facility. And so, um, so the pastor deployed people. We had a time of prayer together. And then he said, okay, I want you to go out, walk out in the parking lot, go out through this whole building and pray. And then we'll come back and we'll see what the Lord's been saying to us. And as the people came back in, so I was just kind of an observer there uh, that night. The next day I was going to be guiding their leadership into formulating who they are, where they're going to go as a church. And so I'm just sitting there listening and I'm taking notes. And person after person came back in and they said, well, I just, I was standing out in the parking lot and I was like, God, fill this parking lot with cars. And I went into, I went into classrooms that were, you know, there was Four, four chairs sitting around a circle where we have children's ministry. And I said, I said, oh, God, fill this room with kids. They're learning about you. And they came into the sanctuary, and half of the sanctuary is filled up with chairs. The rest of it's just empty. And they're, oh, God, let us fill this place up with chairs and fill this place up with people. And I sat down with the pastor after that, that night, and I took my notes out, and I said, you have a systemic problem. You have a problem because the people in your church are waiting for Jesus to fill the church. And a kingdom prayer is, God, I am empty. Fill me with your spirit. Breathe on me, Jesus. So that I can live sent. So those people I work with, those people I live with, my family members, 
people in my neighborhood can experience the love and the mercy and the kindness of Jesus. Yeah, fill this place, Jesus. Yes, fill this place. But can we pray today, God, fill this place. Fill me. Yes. If you want Jesus to breathe on you freshly today, would you just stand with me and we're going to pray for that to happen right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask, breathe on us. Breathe on us freshly by your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit, God, so that we have everything that we need. You're sending us as your agents of grace and goodness. Some of us will go to the far regions of the earth. Some of us will travel to other parts of this, this great country. Some of us, Lord, are just going to go to work tomorrow. But may we be empowered by your Holy Spirit to live sent. We take our eyes off of the programs and the buildings and the gatherings of the church as being the focal point and use this gathering, use this place as a place of deployment so that we can fulfill your mission in the earth. Father, do it in this place. Do it in us today, Jesus. Breathe on us today, Lord, we pray. In your great name, amen.